Hello, UFC fans. The Big D is back with a UFC 289 episode. Before I bring in Billy, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. Football, UFC, golf, Champions League. We've got it all. Also, check out the Big D podcast for the audio listeners on Spotify and Apple. So, joining us to talk UFC 289 in Vancouver, Canada. Also, also... Fantasy Labs, Action Network, Billy Ward. So, Billy, uh, we're going north of the border for the first time since 2019 this weekend. Uh, I'm sure you're excited. Well, b- before I comment on that, I do want to ask you, Dylan, what's your excitement level for this pay per view? I don't want to poison the waters here. Uh, I'd be, I'd be a lot, I'd be a lot more excited if the co-main event were the main event and not the championship fight. But that's a story for another day. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's not it's not a great pay-per-view. I know they had some stuff fall apart, some stuff move. But remember, the co-main event wasn't even originally on this. That was supposed to be last month. Imagine this pay-per-view without Darius versus Oliveira in the co-main event. This would be rough. I think they're getting a lot of mileage out of putting some Canadian fighters on the main card. But like, I don't really care that much about Eric Anders versus Marc-Andre Berrial, Adam Fugit versus Mike Malott. Like, fine, I guess. But... Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of not all that enthused about this one. But, you know, the DFS prize pools are the same. The Rainmakers prize pools are the same. All the betting opportunities are available. So we'll press on and uh, just let that excitement build for UFC 290 in a month or so. Get GSP out of retirement. That might be better than some of these fights, right? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, how about the uh, – there is one title fight, and uh, we know one of the fighters, but – I'll be honest with you, I'm struggling to find the other one. Obviously, the uh, co-main event, the uh, main event between uh, Nunez and Irene Aldana? Uh, Aldana? Mm-hmm. Aldana. No, there's no uh, squiggly over the end, so it's just Aldana. So, those Mexican fighters always get me. Yeah, it's, I mean, this was, so this was originally supposed to be the trilogy between Nunez and Pena. Yeah. I'm honestly, I think I'm slightly more interested in this fight than that one. I know that trilogy was one-to-one, but man, that that second fight was just such a dominant performance from Nunez. Really made the first one feel like a fluke. It's hard to see, you know, on paper a way that is really better than Amanda Nunez. At the same time, I mean, this isn't super exciting either. We think of Aldana as the upstart. She's actually slightly older than Amanda Nunez. She's on a uh, two-fight win streak. That's it. She was dominated by Holly Holm and then has a couple of knockouts against relatively unimpressive opponents. Her last knockout was against Macy Chieson. She knocked her out with an upkick to the liver, which I had never seen before at any level of MMA. So that was cool. It was interesting. It's probably why she has a title fight, just getting that kind of highlight reel knockout there. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, to an extent, it's it's reminiscent of Grasso over Shevchenko where we're like, this underdog has no chance. Why are we even doing this? And more importantly, um, Aldana and Grasso train together. You know, we've seen a ton of these lighter weight Mexican fighters, both men and women, pull off upsets and win titles lately. So I, I can see the angle. I can see what the UFC is going for. But if if we have um, the best of Amanda Nunez here, she's going to dominate. Now, we don't know that, right? Is her motivation level dipped? Does she really care that much anymore? She left ATT to start her own team. That's generally not a great thing so there's an angle there but i don't know i don't i don't really see a way that this one goes against her 
I mean, what I mean, Aldana is coming off that coming off a highlight knockout reel in the third round to get so many points she put in that fight. Seventy four. Yeah. Well, I mean, she didn't even get a knockdown because she was the one on her back getting the knockout. So not a great DFS fight, but Aldana is 6,700, so you kind of just play her, and that way you're insulated if something crazy happens, for cash at least. You know, for GPPs, going to be tricky to talk yourself into playing the underdog in that main event. It's probably worth it to do it in, like, a lineup if you're making a few, but, yeah, I don't know. And I, I'm not confident that uh, Nunez pays off her salary for GPPs. Right, because some of her wins here are not all that great, especially when she grapples. Like her submission wins usually don't score that many points, and that's probably her best path to victory. Here is a submission, I would think. It feels like she could kind of win it however she wants, but I wouldn't be shocked if she makes it a grappling match where she should have a big advantage. I mean, be honest when I when I think of Nunez, I I wonder a has age caught up with her, but then again. She's the younger fighter here. Yeah, I mean, and we can't then she's that. younger fight. She's the younger fighter, but yet she's been fighting for a long time. She's got a... Nunes has got a kid, so you wonder if she's trained like she was three or four years ago. Two kids what? now, I think. I think they just had a second. Two kids? I believe so. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure they, they either just had their second or her wife is currently pregnant. It's one of those two. Dang! But yeah, I mean, you're you're 100% right with all that. She's obviously made more than enough money with all those title defenses. Remember, every title defense, they get pay-per-view points. So she's not Conor McGregor rich, but if she wanted to never fight again, she has enough money she could do so. Anyone who watched The Ultimate Fighter saw her in like 46 commercials last night. Like, she's obviously doing okay. Yeah, so where is the motivation level? Is it still there? Does she want just one more? Is she planning on continuing to go for a while? We don't really know. But if it's even 80%, she should take this one handily. I mean, uh, in the rematch against uh, Payne and Nunes put up 153 points. She got mm-hmm. six takedowns. Ooh, we like takedowns. Yeah, that was an interesting one, though. Like, you're almost never going to see a fight with six takedowns and three knockdowns go to a decision. Like, you just, that's, it was a really weird situation. I wouldn't bank on that. She has a couple other 150-point performances, though. If she does that again, by all means, she's going to be in the optimal lineup. I'm not sure that she does. I think the likeliest outcome here is probably somewhere in the 90s, low 100s, which, depending on how the rest of the card plays out, might be worth the optimal lineup, but is certainly no guarantee. You know, her fight before that against Megan Anderson, 99 points, round one submission. A couple decisions before that, some of them with a ton of points, some of them not. So it could go either way. I think if you're Aldana, you try to use your height and length, stay away, make it a boxing match, which might be more entertaining, but isn't necessarily the best for DFS. And if you Nunes, I think, and if you Nunes, I think you take Aldana to the ground and make it, and just ride her for 25 minutes. Probably, that's I think what I would be working on. You you have to figure she has a huge grappling advantage, but you never know. You know, it's it's just hard when you see those 95, 9700 price tags like. If we get some finishes elsewhere on the card, it's going to be really hard for her to make the optimal lineup for tournaments. Again, in cash games, you're crazy if you don't play Amanda Nunes. But I, I, I'm trying to remember what card it was. I don't think it was the last pay per view, but there was a uh, there was an expensive fight. I think she was in the nine k range, and you referenced on the website that you 
we always play both main event fighters, or usually play both main event fighters, but you said for that card, only play one. Is this a card where you maybe only play Nunes, or do you play Nunes and Aldana? Because we've seen crazy upsets with Shinchenko and Nunes lose in the past couple of years. So I think that really comes down to is if you think any of the fighters within four or $500 of her in salary have a considerably better chance or a decent chance, right? So Aldana is the cheapest fighter on the slate. A lot of times you play her just because then you can get one more favorite in your overall lineup. But if you think uh, Ursag, who's fighting Dvorak, Jasmine Jasuda Vicious, Landwehr against Ige, you know, Kyle Nelson against Builders, 500 more. If you personally think that any of those fighters have a reasonable shot at winning or, you know, being in a brawl where they put up a good score, then I think it's okay to fade Aldana and play one of them. I'm not really convinced on any of those guys, personally, at least not at this point in the week. I could see talking myself into Jasuda Vicious. She might have a higher floor. But it's kind of the same thesis on Aldana as it is on Jasuda Vicious. It's just Aldana gets two extra rounds. So unless you really, really have a strong feeling about one of the other cheaper fighters, I'm just going to play her, have that salary to get some of the more expensive fighters I like. Because I like a lot of the fighters on the top end this week, too. And especially because there's not there's not another championship fight, although the Coleman event we'll talk about in a minute feels more like it, if not a title fight, maybe a, a a huge eliminator fight. Yeah, the the rumor has it whoever wins that one between for those who don't know, Benil Darius and Charles Oliveira, they will be fighting Islam for the lightweight title in Abu Dhabi in October. So a little bit of a quick turnaround, which is why they scheduled it for May originally, but you know, Benil Dariush, more than deserving, eight-fight win streak. Uh, Charles Oliveira beat Poye, Gaethje, and Michael Chandler all within a year before losing a mildly competitive fight to Islam Makachev. Of course, he thinks he can come back and do it again, but he's still young. I think he's actually younger than Dariush by a little bit here. So, very intriguing fight. It's Yeah, he's younger than Dariush by about five months. It's As I've said before, this is the type of fight that I hate picking sides on because we've seen someone look absolutely dominant against slightly lower competition fighting someone who in recent memory has only lost to the best lightweight in the world so just because we haven't seen Darius beat top competition doesn't mean he can't he just hasn't had the chance to stylistically I think it's a really hard fight for Oliveira though Oliveira probably has the edge in the striking but he usually likes to kind of get hit and then play possum fall down invite the other guy into his guard and tap him out I think Dariush's grappling is going to be too good for that. I don't see Oliveira submitting him on the ground. So that means Oliveira has to be a little bit more technical with his striking. He can't just rely on flopping to his back and pulling a submission if it goes against him. And Dariush might actually be the one to take this one to the ground. With that said, you know, Oliveira is probably the ceiling option here for GPPs. He's got the most submissions in, I believe, UFC history, most finishes in lightweight history. He can finish anybody a variety of ways, knockouts or submissions. I think he's the better GPP option, especially salary considered. For cash games, though, with Dariush's takedown upside, he's got a pretty solid floor because for Dariush to get finished, he probably has to take Oliveira down to even be in that situation in the first place. So I'm leaning towards Dariush for cash games. The betting odds have gone his way a little bit, which is you know kind of a sign that he's the sharper side. But this should be a really compelling fight. Wish we got five rounds on this one. I don't know why, like, we just occasionally make fights five rounds. Just make this one five rounds. No one's going to stop you. Like, it's not a law. But they're not doing that. Three rounds. Very excited for this one. 
Yeah, the uh, burn, uh, the uh, Burns move. I think it was Burns move. Mm -hmm. Burns fight at the last pay per view was five rounds. Why isn't this one five rounds? Because this one should be five rounds. I mean, should is a strong word. Like it used to be only title fights for five rounds, and it was every main event. Now we're making up, you know, BMF titles on occasion, which is we'll talk about in a couple months. So yeah, I, I don't know what should means necessarily, but. Yeah, I would love to see it five rounds, especially if we're expecting these guys to fight for the title soon. I don't think Darius has ever gone five rounds. Oliveira has been scheduled for five rounds tons of times. Most of them haven't gone all five, but I would like to see Darius in the extra couple rounds, but we don't have to worry about that this time. Uh, here, here's one problem for, Charles, for Oliveira. He's, I believe he's fought in Canada four times. And you know what's happened every time he's fought in Canada? Has he lost all of them? Yes. And I believe, he, I don't know if he's been finished in all. I think he may have been finished in all. Somebody may have finished him in all four of those fights. 0 for 4 in Canada. Yeah, but that was a different Charles Oliveira, right? Like, you know, pre-2018-ish featherweight Charles Oliveira. Not the same guy we see now. From 2018 until he fought Makachev last October, won like, was it nine fights in a row or something? I think all but one were finished. Yeah, Ferguson made it the distance. Like, that's a, just a totally different fighter than the guy who was roughly 500 in his early UFC career. So I hear you. Great. But that's just a function of the UFC not being in Canada for a while because that was a different guy fighting last time they were there. True. True. And. I feel like Oliveira's come together. I actually think if you're playing, if you're playing the G GPPs, you 150 max in the the uh, UFC 289. I think Oliveira may be a better GPP play because thinking he could get a submission, mm -hmm. maybe maybe his punches there, and I think Oliveira's looking to get rid of that 0 for 4 in Canada. Yeah, and obviously I haven't ran projections yet, so grain of salt on this because I usually do those Thursday or Friday morning. But my my early lean is Oliveira is the ceiling play here and Dariush is the floor play. Like, I really don't see Dariush getting blanked here because even if he gets finished by Oliveira, he probably picked up some takedowns along the way, some control time, whatever. And Oliveira, he's either going to get a finish or almost end up with nothing, right? He doesn't get too many takedowns. He's not taking Dariush down. The only way this goes to the ground is if Darius gets a takedown or Oliveira pulls guard. So, you know, for Oliveira, it's a little bit riskier, but with his salary, you know, you can afford that risk because if he knocks him out and gets 110 points or whatever, then you're really cooking. So that's how I'm playing this one. I kind of want Darius to win just because I don't see Oliveira beating Makachev, where I think Darius has a better shot in that. But that is a fall discussion that we will have, I'm sure. I feel like Delayu is a better matchup for Makachev. I feel like Makachev is going to control Oliveira for 25 minutes again. Well, Dariush is stylistically very similar to Makachev. I think that's why that one's interesting, right? They're both strong wrestlers. I would give Dariush the striking edge and Makachev the grappling edge, but it's close in both departments, where Makachev is just a tremendous grappler and was able to stifle Oliveira on the ground, which then... What does Oliveira do if he can't, you know, work off his back and stuff? But we've already seen that one. We'll move on. Like I said, we'll talk about that one in October, depending on how this one plays out. And plus, and plus, unlike Alexander Volkanovski, Dalyush is a true lightweight. Well, yeah. Volkanovski was one one forty five fighter at one fifty five. Right. Absolutely.
So uh, after the Nunez Oliveira de la huge fights, are there any fights that intrigue you? Um, yeah, definitely. So probably my favorite overall GPP play this week is Dan Ige. He's had an interesting career, right? So he was looking really good, lost three straight, but to like really, really tough dudes. I think all three of those guys were either like top five or title challengers or former former champions. So yeah, so he lost to Chan Sung Jung, who then fought for a title, lost to Josh Emmett, who then fought for a title, lost to Mosvar Ivalev, who's 17 and 0, never lost in the UFC. But on either side of that, he has pretty big knockout wins and just a really precise, accurate striker. He's fighting Nate Landwehr, who's just a wild man, right? Like, Landwehr's throwing stuff. He looks like he's on the verge of being knocked out in every fight. So, one, that's going to be a really entertaining fight. But, two, I think this sets up tremendously well for Dan Ige. Landwehr takes over five and a half significant strikes per minute in the UFC, which is horrible. And he's shown himself to have a good chin, but everybody has a good chin until they don't. And with Ige's striking, I think Ige's striking is considerably better than the last few guys that Landwehr has fought. The sky's really the limit for him here. I could see a quick knockout. I could also see him landing, you know, 700 strikes over three rounds, but failing to put him away and coming down with a good score. So hugely on the Dan Ige train, 9,100 is a little steep, but, you know, no one's super expensive. It's not too hard of a week to find Sally. Love him. Cash games, GPPs. He's going to be a cornerstone for me. Yeah, I feel I feel like that. I feel like that fight's going to be fun. I I I don't know what the odds would be for a knockout there, but I feel like somebody's going to be finished in that fight. Well, it'll it'll either be fun because Dan Ige puts gets a highlight real performance, or it'll be fun because you go, "Wow, how was Nate Landwehr still standing? He's eaten a million shots, and then maybe he comes back and wins it because that's kind of his game plan." Like if you remember that episode of The Simpsons a million years ago where Homer was a boxer. That's pretty much Nate Landwehr. Uh, before I've got I've got something fun. I'm going to end this episode with. Before that, uh, you know, with the USC back in Canada for the first time in a few years, uh, I feel like we should talk about some of our favorite UFC fighters. Obviously, the first one that first one that comes to mind for me is uh, George St. Pierre. I mean, we remember what he did. Well, got my DSP book right here, <laughs> right behind me at all times. I I figured you would have a couple of GSP books. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's the standout. I, so, as a young welterweight with the traditional martial arts background who was starting to win fights by wrestling, uh, George St. Pierre was the idol, right? Like that was who I was trying to build my skill set around. He was a guy who never wrestled as a youth, because it's not really a big sport in Canada, but by the prime of his career was arguably the best takedown artist in the UFC or all of MMA. So people, you know, they like to say like, well, if this guy just learned some takedowns and that's because George St. Pierre made it look easy. It's really hard to just add that late in your career the way he did. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of GSP always seemed to do things the right way in and outside of the cage. Just super classy came in with a great game plan every time tremendous blend of that traditional martial arts with some of the fight skills all around great athlete you know probably could have been an olympic gymnast if he started that sooner on a related note his coach ferris Ferris zahabi's younger brother is fighting on this card which is interesting alamein zahabi on the undercard yeah obviously like not even close to a discussion who the best canadian ufc fighter is of all time 
No argument for me. And uh, by the way, we back in the day when Matt Hughes was the rest wrestler, who would think that GSP could top him or exceed him in wrestling? Right. Yeah. It just he he really changed the game and how you didn't need to have that sport in its own right. You could learn MMA wrestling or MMA striking or MMA jujitsu. Because those things are different, right? It's different doing it with little gloves and no shirt on and no shoes and with a guy trying to punch you. And he was just the the epitome of how you did that. And for someone like me who didn't really have a great combat sports background when I got into it, that was massive. So love GSP. Um, I honestly can't even really think of any like great. Uh, who, who else we got? Patrick Cote fought for a title one time, I guess. That was cool. I'm probably missing somebody like obvious, but. Uh uh, all the rest, all the, all the stalls I can think of WWE stalls, obviously Twitch Stratus, but I can't think of many UFC stalls from north of the border. Yeah, and, which is weird because there was a big scene there, like you know, fighting in the Detroit area with Windsor right across the river. When I was fighting around here, you couldn't really do shows in Windsor, so a lot of the younger up and coming Canadian fighters all came over here. And those guys were tough. Like, their amateur fighters were like our professionals. So it was an interesting time. This was, you know, peak GSP, where I think every Canadian tough young guy wanted to be an MMA fighter. But, yeah, we're seeing, you know, Mikey Mallott, who's fighting right before the co-main event here. He's kind of like the hottest Canadian prospect right now, and he's good, right? He's 9-1-1, looked really impressive against Johan Lyonese. But I think he's like 35, and he's only got two UFC fights. So No, he's only 31. Okay, I stand corrected. Still a little on the older side, but 2-0 in the UFC, two first-round finishes. Probably not the next GSP, but maybe he's the next, you know, somewhat great fighter out of Canada. Didn't he come back after initially retiring and beat, uh, I think it was Michael Bisping for those, somebody for the Michael Bisping. Yeah, yeah, he fought Bisping for the middleweight title. Which was, it was kind of like when Randy Couture came back for the heavyweight title because he saw Tim Sylvia had it. GSP saw Bisping somehow ended up middleweight champ and went, yeah, I could probably get that one. And he did. So that was fun. And then he immediately retired again, which made Dana White mad. But here we are. Yeah, that was after Anderson Silva ruled the right. middleweight division for so long. Chris Weidman was going to be back in August, knocked mm-hmm. out. And then somehow Bisping got it. I mean, that was weird. Well, because, you know, Weidman took it from Silva, then Weidman had a bad leg break of his own, and then I think, like, Luke Rockhold might have had it for a fight. It was kind of just anyone who wanted it for a minute in there. All right, well, if you know if you know DFS, uh, there's this new thing on DraftKings called Rainmakers coming out, and uh, I've been thinking about it, and I finally got my first UFC pack. So now, Billy, uh, you want to see my uh, UFC pack? I'm very excited to open this one live real quick for any of the listeners. When you buy a pack, in theory, you can make a lineup because it's five cards. You need five fighters in a lineup. A lot of times, you know, you'll pull two fighters fighting each other or whatever. So that's not always ideal. But in theory, Dylan might have a lineup in and of itself here, or he can hit that marketplace, sell some of the cards he doesn't want or need, maybe look to improve, get some better fighters. So I'm excited to see what he comes up with here. Wait, wait, wait. That's not the one I wanted. Ah. <laughs> That's not the one I wanted. Ah, wait. Well, Dylan's getting set up here. They got different rarity tiers here, too. So you get at least one rare card in your pack. 
But if he's just going to play one lineup and he only gets the one rare card, it's probably worth it to sell his rare. If he gets real lucky, he might get an elite or something. So let's see. Okay. I think, can you see it? Yep. Just go ahead and not list pack. That means you're trying to sell it. Come on, Dylan. So I am. <laughs> I'm teasing you. I know. It's a new thing. I've never done this. The, the one thing I, I love Rainmakers as a concept, it's fun because the cards that you're about to open are only usable for UFC 289, but they have a ton that you get all year, right? So if you bought a Bo Nickel card at the start of the year like I did that you get to keep using, kind of a fun way to invest in fighters that you think have a high ceiling. All right, let's see. We're getting it open. You going to click them all one by one for the drama? I love the music. It just explodes open. All right, only one rare. Not not great. Let's see what we got, though. Which one should I open first? Let's go bottom to top. Let's see who the rare is, because that, be, that could be worth more than the value of the pack if you got the right one. That one is a Nate Landveer. Not excited about that, but all right, let's keep it moving. Can only go up from here. It's a hobby. He's a slight favorite. He's solid. Mike Not One of the heavier favorites. That's a good one. Just talking about him as a big prospect. Miranda Maverick. Huge. She might be the biggest favorite on the card. She might even be bigger than Nunez at this point, but it's close. So Maverick's huge. Who do we got for rare? Oh! All right, so here's what I'm doing if I'm you, Dylan. Unless you want to spend up, spend some money and get into a rare contest, I would sell my rare Nate Landwehr, sell my core Nate Landwehr, and then get two more core cards of fighters you like and enter one of the cheap contests. You can do one where the top 150 win a pack for next week if you want to keep this ball rolling. You can do some where if you get real lucky, you win tickets to a UFC event. Probably wouldn't do that. Or you can get some where it's like a regular G GPP with prize payouts. But unless you really think Nate Landwehr pulls this one off, I would sell him because you can sell the rare landware and get a better core card for a little bit cheaper. How would how would I sell the card? The easiest is if you go to marketplace instead of rainmakers, then click portfolio. This will be perfect for anyone listening who wants to get into it. We can do a brief little tutorial how this actually works. So then click portfolio underneath. I'm not sure if it'll let you sell it while we're on this Zoom meeting because that seems to block the location services as all of your pop-ups are letting us know. But we'll at least see how it works in theory. 28, what else you got? You got some football? I've got, I've got a few golf ones. Okay. I, I've been hustling the golf ones just to get those franchise score payouts, but that's a different thing. All right, so go ahead and click that rare landware. So you could accept an offer for 385 right now. Don't do that. Wait. We're going to see what the cheapest one for sale is. So, Nah, you messed it up. It's not gonna, uh, I've never done this. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's, I love this as a service or as an idea. It is confusing. They need to make it a little bit smoother for people trying to get into it. Mainly so you guys can come and buy all my cards and inject some money into this ecosystem since I have a ton of them. How much are, I mean, how much have you... Right now, I am like top 350 on the leaderboard. So don't click sell or accept. Just click his name or click his picture, anything around there. 
because that'll open you up all the ones for sale. So scroll down a little bit. Yeah, I'm like top 350-ish on the leaderboard, probably a thousand-ish worth of cards, but I'm up like 200 bucks, all things considered, not counting the cards. So hmm. I've been playing the Elite uh, Bankroll Builders where the top 50 make 100 bucks. It's expensive to get into them, but I have so many of the Elite cards that are good all year. All right, so the cheapest one now is 450. You could sell yours for put yours up for 449. Use the proceeds to get better core cards and then enter one of those contests. That's what I would do. So sell the item. Yeah, and you're not going to get 449 cuz there's a 10% fee, but And list for sale, right? Yep. And then with those $4, you could probably buy, you know, a core Dariush, if you wanted, or a core, I mean, a core Nunez might be a little bit more than that, but you could get a core card that's a little bit better, since you can't play two date landwares in the lineup anyway. And then if you want to take a swing on landwear, keep that core one. But, but yeah, well, and we can talk more about your individual strategy off the stream. But this is a good entrance point for anyone trying to get into it. Man, I thought I, I thought that would have been a rare. I thought that would have been a rare Nunez card. I'm like, if that's a rare Nunez card, I'm going to be doing backflips. Yeah, I got real lucky. I pulled an elite Maverick and random Maverick in one of my packs, so I'm super pumped about that. But I bought four packs, so you know you're going to get a good one if you buy more. Maybe three. I don't remember this week. Yeah, I mean, I've been, yeah, I've been hammering. And you'll get all kind. There's all kinds of achievements. There's little payouts for how many cards you collected during the week. There's prizes for the leaderboard. So there's a lot of other ways, even if you don't make money from the contests. Like I've gotten just as much money from the leaderboard payouts as I have from the actual games. So yeah, let me t- let me tell you this. I've been doing uh, best ball drafts, and I've been getting crowns tiers for for that. So I feel like you. I feel like they're all benefits to doing stuff outside of DFS, whether it be betting. Rainmakers or best ball, you can do so many different things. The Rainmakers and best ball in particular, because they're pushing both of those pretty hard. So they've got some really generous achievements. Like I think just by buying that pack, you'll get a free bonus pack once the achievement goes through in like a couple days. I think it comes like every Wednesday they drop those. So you'll get a free achievement pack that's worth like 20 ish dollars if you sell it, or you can open it and keep it. And you'll get that pack refunded in the first place. So like it's all house money at this point for you, you know? And if you buy one or two more cards, you'll get on the leaderboard. They'll give you 10 bucks next week. It's a whole thing. You could, I think I never invested more than like 50 bucks in this. And I'm up well over 200 plus my portfolio just because they're pushing it so hard on the promos. All right, Billy, thanks for hopping on. And uh, thank you for helping me with my first pack. Uh, I'm still figuring out what to do with it, but uh, hopefully uh, things go well and we uh, make it rain. Yes, sir. Yeah, I've got, uh, I think I've got four lineups right now, one elite, two rares, and then a core. I kind of, I don't really play those core contests. I just, whatever cards I pulled in the packs that I don't really want, most of them aren't worth selling for like 70 cents. So I just throw them in a lineup and, you know, if you win one a year doing that, you're doing great. So.